Sunday nights, we're studying the book of John, found in the New Testament, the fourth book of the New Testament. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of John, beginning in chapter 19. Book of John, chapter 19. We'll begin reading with verse 31. And on Sunday nights, what we're doing, what I've done through the years, is we take time and look at the Scripture. Someone asked me, what's the difference in Sunday morning and Sunday night? And well, Sunday morning sermon is regular television, Sunday night is HD television. Because we get in details. We, we look at words. We want to see clarity. We want to understand things maybe we don't have time on, on a Sunday morning to look at. And so we've been studying this, this book of John. And so look with us. The book of John, chapter 19. Last time we saw where Jesus has been crucified. And now we pick up the story afterwards. Verse 31. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation... So that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. Ask Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also believe. These things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take him away, take away the body of Jesus. Pilate granted permission. And so he came and took away his body. And Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 100 pounds weight. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Therefore, because of the Jews' day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciples ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered. And he saw and believed. For yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And so the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Abona, means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have yet not ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to the Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Madeline came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Pray with me. Father, tonight as we look at this passage, there's so much here. But as a reminder, Father, of why we are here. Father, this is a reminder of why we celebrate. This is a reminder of our faith. And so, Father, help us to understand and apply it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, Christopher Hitchens, who was the very well-known atheist, decided he wanted to have debates with a Christian. And so they arranged for Larry Talton to have debates with him. Larry was a Christian thinker, apologetic person. And so they went around the country debating Christianity. What's interesting in this is they became friends. In fact, when Hitchens developed throat cancer he actually stayed with Larry a couple of days at his home and they would cross America in the car talking about different things one day they were driving down the road and Hitchens grabbed a bible and he was reading actually from the John chapter 11 and about the resurrection that passage I am the resurrection the life and and he said I know this one I, I don't know what it has to do with Lazarus but I know this one and Larry said well that's a great verse Charles Dickens thought that was a great verse And then Christopher Hitchens has always taken off his reading glasses, a little sarcastic. He said, do you believe that thou this, Larry? But there's something different this time. Larry said, well, I do. But you already knew I believed it. The question is, do thou, Christopher Hitchens, believe this? And for the very first time, Hitchens didn't have a sarcastic remark about Christianity. What he said was, I admit that is not without appeal to a dying man. The resurrection is the key to our faith. You take away the resurrection, there is no faith. You take away the resurrection, we're wasting our time here tonight. I've said it many times before. But the resurrection is the key. And so John has been writing this book, as we've noticed in the last, one-third of the book is the last week of Jesus, leading up to the cross and to the resurrection. And so he's laying the foundation so that we would understand the resurrection is real. And to do that, he begins by showing us that Jesus is actually dead. Did you notice in verse 37 what he says? In verse 37, uh, uh, verse 32, he says, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man, and the other who was crucified and becoming to Jesus, he was already dead. They did not break the legs. Now, the, by the way, according to the book of Psalm, there's a prophecy about this, and, and that's what John talks about. He, he, he protects all of his bones, not one of them is broken. But as I said last week, most people died on the cross from, uh, from suffocation because as you're on the cross and your legs are bent, the only way to take a breath is to lift up your legs to take a breath. You break the legs, you die quicker. And so the Roman soldiers are going by and they're wanting to go ahead and kill them to break their legs so they'll die faster. The first the two of the men are alive. Jesus, however, was already dead. So John is telling us Jesus is dead. Not only that, 
it goes again with prophecy. Because in Numbers chapter 11, talking about the Passover lamb, it says they are to eat the animal with unleavened bread and bitter herbs that they may not leave it until morning or break any of its bones. The Passover lamb cannot have a broken bone, and they could not break the legs of Jesus. He was already dead. Then verse 34, it said they took a spear and they thrust it in his side. And again, the psalm, a prophecy about this in Psalm chapter 22. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet, and I count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. Again, another prophecy. They pierced me. But what's interesting to me is that for thousands of years, people wondered about that, that text because it said they, they took a spear, they thrust it in Jesus' side, and blood and water came out. And theologians for years tried to debate the theological significance of this. Today, we know it's a medical reason. And doctors will, will look at this passage and say, you know, they, they knew something. This has to be real because they didn't understand what was taking place. And so those, some believe it was, he died of a ruptured heart. And, and some think that was the cause of death. Some say that when you die, the blood builds up and a liquid builds up around the lungs and there will be a clear liquid come out with the blood. This is what I witness. So again, here's John saying, before we get into the resurrection, I want you to understand he's dead. He died on the cross. We know that because the soldiers did it. They didn't break his bones. They, they pierced his side. And by the way, a little trivia, it takes four Roman soldiers to, to sign the death certificate. They examined the body. Four men had to sign the death certificate in this time period. He is dead. This man who's been teaching for three years, three and a half years, he's dead. And so tonight, I want to look at the, the facts about the burial and the resurrection. And it begins with the men at his burial. Because two men appear on the scene you would not have expected. The first one is, verse 38, is Joseph of Arimathea. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. And he came and took away his body. Now, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a picture of Joseph of Arimathea. Book of Mark, we know he's a member of the Sanhedrin. Matthew tells us he was rich. Luke tells us he was a disciple longing for the kingdom of God. John tells us he is a disciple, but a secret disciple because he feared the Jews. Because remember, because they connected him with Jesus, they could attack him. They could ostracize him. He could be kicked out of the Sanhedrin. They could actually excommunicate him from the temple. They could do all these things. And so there was a fear factor, but not now. Something took place here. At the cross, while the disciples are running away, at the cross, while Jesus' brothers are no longer there, this man stood up and stepped out. This man, rather than fleeing, publicly associated himself with Jesus, no matter the cost. He goes to Pilate, and they knew, the, the Jews would know this. He went to Pilate to give me the body. And Pilate surprisingly gave it to him. Now, in Jewish culture, if someone dies, you ask for the body back so you could bury the body. But if you were Jewish and you were crucified, that's different. Because the Jews believed that if you died on a cross, you were accursed. Because the prophecy in the Old Testament, cursed is the man who dies on a tree. 
And if you were cursed, the family was cursed. And so many times, if you died on a cross, no one claimed the body. And so in that case, if you didn't claim the body, they would take the body and just throw it in a common grave. That's why Joseph of Arimathea went out. Maybe he was trying to protect Mary. Maybe he was trying to protect her too. Whatever the case, he came forward. Give me the body. And then verse 39, another man steps out. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 100 pounds weight. Here's Nicodemus. And John reminds us, hey, guys, hey, we've already looked at Nicodemus. Back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, so we know who he is. He's also a secret disciple. They've been hiding their belief, but now they're bold. And he's going to take care of the body. It says they took about 100 pounds. Some translations say 75 pounds of myrrh. And, and they, the people say, well, that's a lot. Eh, not really. Paul's teacher, Gamaliel, had 80 pounds of spices at his funeral. Herod the Great had hundreds of servants carrying alloy and, and spices. It was, if you had a great teacher, you honored him. If you had a great king, you honored him. And here's Jesus, the greatest king, the greatest teacher of all. What's the manner of the burial? They take Jesus off the cross. And first you wash the body, and then you would wrap the body. And here's how they would do it. It was almost like a mummy. You would, you would lay the body on a, on a sheet, and you would take these linen cloths, and you would put up the spice on it, and it would become very sticky. And you would start wrapping up from the ankles all the way to the neck with the arms at the side, kind of like a mummy. That's how they did it. And it was very, and the, it was very sticky, and, and the spices had a, had a sweet aroma so that when the body starts decaying later on, you would not be offended. And then they would take that body, and they would place it in the tomb, and usually they had a, a cloth, and you would simply place it on the face. That's what they did for Jesus. They took care to prepare the body. They took care to wrap it up. Now, by the way, later on, that's very important in the story because remember some people said Jesus just passed out and he got out of the tomb by himself. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? It's ridiculous that anyone would even suggest that understanding the history of the day. And then he actually moved the rock too. And so in verse 41, it tells us something very interesting. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. There's a garden theme here. The fall of the first Adam was placed in a garden. And it was in the garden that the second Adam is going to redeem mankind. And Jesus is buried. Why spend so much time talking about this? I mean, let's look at the meaning of his burial. I mean, why didn't they just say he died, he was buried, and get on with the story? Why spend so much time talking about the burial? The burial is important to us because because of the burial, we know that our sins have been removed. Remember, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took our sins upon him. So when Jesus was buried, our sins was buried with him. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he was sinless again, and our sins are still buried. 
That's what the book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 14 says. He will again have compassion on us, and he will vanquish all of sin. You will cast out our sins into the depths of the sea. God says, God's going to take our sins, and he goes, throw them out in the ocean. I love, I love what one preacher said. He's going to take them out of the deep end of the ocean and put no fishing. Burial is very important to us. That's why we talk about it in the ABCs of salvation. He was buried because our sins are buried. They are gone because Jesus died for us. In the 1900s, there was an evangelist, J. Whipper, uh, J. Whipper Chapman. Uh, he f- was a disciple, really, of Dwight L. Moody. He was also a hymn writer. He wrote a hymn called One Day. In that song, there's five verses that tells the entire gospel story, but then the, the chorus sums up the work. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day, he's coming, a glorious day. It's important he was buried. Our sins are removed. Secondly, it means that we can identify with him in baptism. You know, when the Apostle Paul is talking about baptism, you know, he, he compares it to burial. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, therefore we are buried with Christ in ba- by baptism. Whenever you see a baptism, you're seeing a burial service symbolically. Somebody's in the water, they die, they show Jesus died and was buried and come out of the water, the resurrection. But it also shows what happens to us, that we are dead, buried, and now we are alive, a new person. The burial is very important to show that we identify in baptism. But also, it shows that we can uh, enjoy the resurrection life now. This resurrection, we can enjoy today, right now. Because the Bible doesn't say, someday you'll have it. It says, now you have it. That is the promise of Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things above. He said, you have been raised. Not, you will be raised. So whenever we talk about the death of Christ, think about the burial, because that burial means that our sins have been removed. It reminds us of that. We can identify in baptism, and now we understand we can have this resurrected life now. And now Jesus is in the tomb. And something happens that no one was expecting. No one was expecting in verse verse 1 of chapter 20. Mary comes to the tomb early while it was still dark the first day of the week and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. While it was dark, now the other gospel says it was early in the morning, and I know some people say, oh, there's a contradiction. It says early, and this says dark. Have you ever been up at 4 o'clock in the morning? It can be early, it can be dark, okay? She went early in the morning, and it was dark. And she comes to the tomb. Now, John doesn't even mention there's a rock there. John doesn't mention about the Roman guard. He doesn't mention any of that. All he says is that when she got there, the stone was rolled away. Now, she went with other women. Now, he doesn't mention the other women because that's not important to his story he's telling. Now, we know that later on. She said, we have seen that he's gone. We. So she admits there are other women there. But she comes to the tomb, and this rock is gone. And the words that are used are interesting. The words that is used in the Greek language means that the rock was rolled away in an incline. It's kuleo. It means not just rolled away. It means to roll on an incline. Then John adds a second word to describe the idea of picking something up. 
This rock on the, in front of the tomb was not simply moved. It was up on an incline as if someone picked it up and carried it. This wasn't someone that, that moved a rock by themselves. No one is that strong. This rock was picked up and moved on the incline. That's what John is saying in this, this passage as he is describing this rock. This stone was picked up and moved away from the entrance. And so what does Mary do? Well, Mary runs to tell the disciples, verse 2. And so she ran and came to Simon and Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. See, again, they think someone has stolen the body. She's not thinking, hey, Jesus is alive. No one thinks he would be alive. That would be ridiculous. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they're going to the tomb. The other disciple, by the way, is John. John, John doesn't want to mention his own name. So he always says, the one Jesus loved, but it's John. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. John was into CrossFit, and uh, it was in a better shape than Peter. Okay, the CrossFit is not true, but... And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. He did not go in. And Simon Peter also came, followed him, entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciples who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw, and he believed. This sounds so much like Peter. They are running. John gets there first. John doesn't want to go in. I mean, John just stoops and looks in. Peter, who does everything without thinking, runs into the tomb and looks, and then he leaves. Now, here's something you don't see in the English language. Three times it mentions the the word seeing or looking and all three are different words. So in verse 5, that word means to quickly glance at something. So verse 5, stooping and looking and glancing in. He's not looking carefully, he's just looking in and glancing, looking around. Verse 6, that word means to examine something. Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings. That word, we get the word theater from that. It's the idea of beholding something. So John goes in, he just puts his head in the tomb, comes out, here comes Peter. He's examining everything. He's looking at everything. He's looking at the evidence. And, and it's gone. And the face covering is not thrown to the side. It's carefully placed to the side. And then in verse 8, there's another word. It means to look with understanding. It says in verse 8, so the other disciples who had first come to the tomb also entered and saw. That's that word. He saw with understanding. John is the first person to really believe the story. John is the first person to believe that Jesus is alive. Now, Mary was the witness, but John is the first person who really believed it. And they are amazed by this. And so they leave. They went on their way to their own homes. But Mary, verse 11, was standing outside the tomb and she's weeping. She still can't figure it out. Where do they take Jesus? And so she looks in the tomb. Verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet. Where the body of Jesus has been lying. Usually in Scripture, you're afraid when you see angels 
Mary's not afraid. She is too much in distress. Verse 13. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you crying, Mary? What's the problem? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. Very personal here. They've taken away my Lord. And I do not worry that, no, they have laid him. This is personal to Mary. I want to find Jesus. He changed my life. Now, by the way, Mary, we know, has seven demons. According to tradition, she was a prostitute, but we don't find that in Scripture anywhere. So uh, someone started that in, in about the first or second, or second or third century. There's no evidence she was ever a prostitute. We know she had seven demons, and Jesus rescued her. And so she says, where have they laid him? And about this time, Jesus appeared, verse 14. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. You say, wait a minute, how, did, how come she didn't know it was Jesus? Would you have expected to see Jesus? If you're at a cemetery and you turn around and you see someone, would you expect that's your loved one? No, that we know she's been crying. We know she's upset. Why would she think this? In fact, it's possible because of the tears and eyes she couldn't see clearly anyway. But even if she could, who would have expected to see Jesus? And so she turns and she thinks he's the gardener. And he said, woman, why are you weeping? Again, there's that word. Woman is a, very, uh, it's a word of endearment in that culture. And Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Verse 15, supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. I love that. I'll do it myself. I will personally carry him. I'll do it. And Jesus said to her, Mary, when she heard her name spoken by her Lord, she knew who he was. Rabboni, master teacher. You know, Jesus said, the sheep will know the shepherd by their voice and the shepherd would know their names and she looked and there's Jesus he's not dead he's been dead but he's alive and Jesus said verse 17 apparently Mary falls at his feet and holding on to his feet holding on to his legs verse 17 Jesus said to her Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to the brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Now, what does this mean? Now, let me, the simplest explanation of this, what Mary is doing is, I don't want you to leave. Okay? I don't want you to leave. Will you stay here? She wants the physical Jesus. She wants the physical Jesus that had been with her. I don't want you to go anywhere. Will you stay here? And Jesus is saying, Mary, I've got to ascend. Because if I don't ascend, I can't send the Holy Spirit. Remember, we looked at it a few weeks ago. Jesus said, I must ascend to send the Holy Spirit. Mary, you've got to let me do my job. You're holding on to the physical portion of me, but there's more work to be done. I'm in the process of ascending to the Father so I can send the Holy Spirit. Mary's only thinking of the physical right now. She's not thinking of the spiritual Mary, we don't have time for this. I'll spend more time with you later, but right now, I got my work to do. In verse 18, 
Mary runs to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus, who claimed he was God, was killed on a cross. That's a historical fact. We know that. You say, how do you know that? What year is it? 2023, right. What? A.D. Ah, A.D. Where did you get that? The year of our Lord. Ah, where did you get that? Because someone died 2,000 years ago. Historical fact, we know Jesus died. He was buried. Something happened three days later that changed everything. Changed everyone. The disciples who ran away, we're going to see this next week. The disciples who ran away are now powerful believers. They're willing to die for this. The people who said that Jesus is dead are now saying he's alive. Something took place, and it's called the resurrection. It is foundational to our faith. B.B. Warfield said, the cardinal doctrine of our system is the resurrection, and all our doctrines stand on this. The resurrection is, is based on the eternal life that's promised from Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection... We're wasting our time. If there's no resurrection, it's foolish to even look at the Bible. Just do what you want to do. But because the resurrection is true, it changes everything. And in just a few verses, they went from he's dead to he's alive. On June 18th, 1815, the Battle of Waterloo was taking place. You know the story. The French under the command of Napoleon was fighting the British, the Dutch, and the Germans. Their leader was the Duke of Wellington. That battle was crucial to the history of the world. If Napoleon had won that battle, he would have controlled Europe, and history would have been changed. Throughout that battle, England was getting messages. And the way they would get messages, believe it or not, from, from mountaintops, they would wave flags or flashing lights to tell the next mountain, to tell the next mountain what was going on. Imagine that system. Late one evening, afternoon, there was a dense fog. They were giving this message, again, just one letter at a time, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N, Wellington. Then the next word, D-E-F-E-A-T-E-D, Wellington, defeated. And the whole town couldn't believe it. Napoleon had won. And there was crying and fear. The countryside spread the news. Wellington defeated. Napoleon had won. What are we going to do? And then the fog lifted. You see, the message wasn't two words. It was four words. The next two words was T-H-E. And the fourth word, E-N-E-M-Y. The message wasn't Wellington defeated. The message was Wellington defeated the enemy. And when they got that message, the atmosphere changed. And like wildfire, the good news spread across the land. When Jesus died on the cross, it looked like Satan won. It looked like Jesus was defeated. But the resurrection shows us Jesus defeated the enemy. Would you stand and bow your heads?
As I said, you take away the resurrection, you take away our belief. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for us. And we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. If you're here tonight or you're watching online and you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so tonight? By admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died, buried, and on the third day arose. And by confessing, choosing to follow Jesus. Will you do that this evening? If you're watching online, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005. And a minister will give you a call to talk about your decision. If you're here tonight and you've never made that decision, will you do so? As we begin uh, singing a hymn, just come and talk to me or, or some of the ministers at the front area. And just say, I need to give my life to Jesus. Our Father, speak to us now. And Father, we thank you so much for the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, we have hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.